Good morning, Life Church. It is, uh, it is great to see you. I wish I could see you online too, but I can't. Uh, the only way we can solve that is that you come here and uh, we can see each other. That's always a fun thing to do, isn't it? Yes. You bet. You bet. It's, uh, it's good to be together. And uh, think about heaven. One day we will be together forever and ever and ever. That's a long time. You bet. Hey, if you're uh, streaming this morning, uh, you want to. If you're on the church website, you can go to the video player, download the notes, the outline for this morning's talk. If you're on the church Facebook page, there's a link in the comments section, and by all means, you can once again uh, pull up your outline. Now, just to give you a heads up, if you haven't already noticed on your printed outline, um, we have two threes. Uh, one, two, three, and then we have another three, and that's supposed to be four. So uh, we want to take the stress out of it for you this morning, give you a heads up. You can solve that problem right off the bat. Uh, the last point is number four. So we solved that. That was easy, wasn't it? You bet. You bet. We are uh, walking through the book of First Thessalonians. Uh, it's, a, it's a great letter that Paul wrote to a very young church. They were all new believers, and uh, they had recently put their faith in Christ, and we're going to find out what's going on in their world in just a few moments. On February 1943, a German university student named Sophie Scholl was convicted of high treason against the Nazi regime and she was executed by the guillotine. Just last week in Germany, I want you to stop and think about this. Just last week, Germany announced they will honor this Christian martyr, Sophie Scholl, with a European $20 piece, which in the US it's $24. It's a silver, uh, sterling silver commemorative coin honoring Sophie's life. It's going to be circulated in honor of her, would have been her 100th birthday, which will be in 2021. It will bear Sophie's likeness and uh, with her words on the edge of feeling for what is just and unjust. Sophie was raised along with her older brother Hans in a... um, denominational church. And like most children during this time in history, she was a member of the League of German Girls, and her brother Hans was a member of the Hitler Youth. But as they grew up, um, they became more and more disillusioned by the Nazification of virtually every area of German life. And Hitler's Uh, opposition to what they mostly believed that was good. And so as students at the University of Munich in the early 1940s, as their world changed, Hans and Sophie began to look deep into their own relationship with the Lord. You know, are we just going to go through motions? Are we just going to go to church? Are we just going to go along with the flow? And they began to seriously... Uh, look at that raw faith as it was being challenged really by the influence of some Christian professors that they knew. And they began to question what their faith actually demanded of them. What does your faith demand of you? And finally, during the slaughter of Polish Jews, uh, the Russian POWs, uh, the Nazi atrocities be- began to, to, to come into the public view, and Hans and Sophie said, you know what, we can't sit idly by any longer, we've got to do something. And so Hans founded an underground resistance group called the White Rose, and it began with a few friends, they began to write, publish, distribute leaflets, advocating um, some passive resistance to Hitler's policies. 
When Sophie arrived at the university, she was younger, of course, than after her brother. She was introduced to his friends, and she insisted on joining uh, the White Rose. So they, they got a hold of a typewriter. They got a hold of a mimeograph machine. <laughs> I don't know if you remember those days. Uh, doesn't seem that long ago, but yeah, those, those were in existence. And they started producing leaflets. Um, buying paper and stamps, a little bit here, a little bit there, uh, in small amounts at different sources so not to arouse suspicion with the authorities. They would mail them out anonymously uh, to nearby homes, distribute them secretly all around the university campus. And so, um, word got out with this white rose organization. Each member of the White Rose understood that um, it was a crime that they were volunteering for. High treason, it would mean uh, there was punishment. And they said, you know what, we're fully aware that we're risking our necks (laughs) doing what we're doing. So with every pamphlet that went out, the The first five, there was risk of discovery. The Gestapo was definitely hard at work trying to find who was behind these leaflets going out. The cool thing was, though, that Hans and Sophie would, uh, inside those leaflets, um, put some writings from prominent Christian thinkers and quoting scripture along the way. Sophie said, somebody, after all, had to make a start. What we wrote and said is also believed by many others. They just don't dare express themselves as we chose to do. Hans agreed. He gave her a thumbs up. He said, it's high time that Christians made up their minds to do something. What are we going to to show in the way of resistance when all this terror is over? We will be standing empty-handed. We will have no answer when we are asked, what did you do about it? And so time came for the sixth leaflet to be distributed. It was February 18, 1943. Hans and Sophie uh, walked towards the university. Hans had a suitcase loaded with the leaflets. Sophie had a briefcase. Uh, Inside there were... 2,000 copies of the leaflets. It was quiet. It was quiet in the class. They started walking up the steps, hearts pounding, and Hans and Sophie began depositing their call to action. Seconds before the lecture doors opened, Sophie took the remaining leaflets that she had in her briefcase and pushed them over the banister to the lower levels, and Hans and Sophie were spotted by a janitor near the bottom of of the stairway, and uh, he informed on them, and they were arrested on the spot. So, on Monday, February 22nd, Hans, Sophie, and their friend Christoph went before the German People's Court infamous for condemning hundreds suspected of subversive activities, and the verdict was read, and they were found to be guilty. And so um, they were discovered, they were arrested and charged with treason, and within four days they had been accused, tried, condemned, and executed. Sophie was only 21 years old at the time. Some would say she had her whole life in front of her. Well... It could be. But here's the thing. Just before they were executed, Hans and Sophie were allowed to have their parents say goodbye to them. And their father, as he hugged them for the last time, said, I'm proud of you. The whole prison and their interrogators were deeply shaken and impressed by Hans and Sophie's courage and deep faith in God, even in the face of death. In fact, Uh, One guard remarked, they bore themselves with marvelous bravery. So at five o'clock, Sophie uh, was led to the execution chamber, 
And her last words were, God, you are my refuge into eternity. By the way, her famous Bible verse was James 1.22, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Kind of fitting, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think so. I think so. So, there's a book called A Practical Guide to Culture where it talks about, Christians often talk about what we're saved from. You know, we're saved from our sins, we're saved from death and judgment, and that's great news. But Sophie and Hans were forced to grow in their faith. <laughs> you know, as, as the, the culture changed in Germany, they had to make a decision. Are we just going to continue living our lives as we have in the past? You know, we go to church and we sit in the pew and we get up and we walk out the same. Or do we change? And they were challenged. And they started to wrestle what they were saved for, not just from. What are you saved for? It's a good question to ask yourself. So God had called them in German history um, the intersection of heaven and you know, their citizenship with heaven and Germany. And they realized that they had a responsibility to respond in love and act. Hans, before he was arrested, wrote to a friend, and this is what he said, should one go off and build a little house with flowers outside the windows and a garden outside the door and extol and thank God and turn one's back on the world and its filth? Isn't seclusion a form of treachery, of desertion? I'm weak and puny, but I want to do what is right. As a follower of Christ, we should live our lives in that way, that we should do what's right, not what's comfortable. The Scholl siblings refused to flee from their culture when they, you know, we're kind of tempted to do that today, aren't we? To seek safe shelter for ourselves, for our children, from the depravities uh, around us. But here's the thing we have to remind ourselves. Safety is never the goal of a Christ follower. Safety should never be the goal of a Christ follower. Faithfulness is. Faithful. Being faithful. So most of us aren't going to face a guillotine because of our faith. We will, it seems, face challenges and some persecution. Like Sophie Scholl, we're going to need courage and commitment that only comes from understanding that we are called by God to this time and to this place for a purpose. Just like Paul, just like Silas, we have to embrace that same challenge in our lives. And so, our friendships, our reputations, maybe even careers. Um, as Sophie Scholl once said, if through us thousands of people are awakened and stirred to action. That was her goal. And you know what? That exactly happened after her death. It awakened a segment of Germany to come out of hiding. And so we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. We're going to pick it up at verse 7. Uh, you've got your outline. There's Bibles on the back table if you need a Bible. Bibles are awesome. <laughs> they are awesome. And let me tell you something. Uh, some people use them for bookends, and what a tragedy that is. Uh, Bibles were printed to read and to obey and to follow Christ. So, let's read together 1 Thessalonians 2, starting at verse 7. As apostles of Christ, Paul's writing here, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living, so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. 
You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Therefore, we never stopped thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. That's great news. God's word continues to work in us as we continue to believe in him and in his word. So let's talk to the Lord. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for the opportunity we have to come together, Lord, not just to go through motions. Oh man, help us not do that. Hans and Sophie did that for a lot of their youth when they were finally awakened. There's more to be a follower of Christ than going through motions. Help us, Lord, to realize that too. As we see Paul and Silas' example so clearly presented to us. I pray for each person in this building and watching online, Lord, that you are a God who is omnipresent. You don't have to take an Uber to get from one place to another. You are everywhere, all the time. Everywhere, all the time. Make yourself known to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul and Silas were, were in an environment, a hostile environment in Thessalonica, which forced them to flee for their lives. Their lives were because the Jewish religious community hated them and they were jealous and they wanted to kill them because Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. And Paul and Silas pushed back against that culture, man. Just like you and I, we can, we can let culture push us into a mold like everybody else, or we can stay grounded in God's word and become the people that God wants each of us to be. And so, yeah, Paul ended up going to Thessalonica. You can see the map. It's, it's a real place in real time. Um, Modern-day Greece. Because Paul and Silas had to take off, he sends Timothy back. Hey, can you do a <laughs> spiritual checkup on this new church, these young believers? You know, are they getting wiped out? from suffering, from persecution, from temptation, or are they staying strong? And so Timothy got the pulse of the church. He comes back, tells Paul, thumbs up, Paul. They are awesome. They are growing. They are maturing in their walk with you. God is so good. And so Paul responds with this letter, and that's where we, where we land today. Now, we see in these next few verses today uh, that there's a response from the hearers. Paul is writing to them. He's, he's letting them know how he lived, how he modeled his faith, and now they themselves need to pick that mantle up and do likewise. I'd like to ask you a question. Who will you be in five years from now? Who will you be five years from now? Who will you be in 10 years we're talking about uh, what you hope to find on the inside of you, not, not you know, your accomplishments, but what's going on, on the inside, because that's really what's most important. What kind of person do you hope to become? We see that Hans and Sophie, there was, there was some change, there was some movement on the inside of them where they changed their posture and how they lived. They stepped out of their comfort zone and, put their lives on the line. And friends, likewise, here we are this morning. As Germany is honoring Sophie Schoen, um, we have the opportunity to honor the Lord in the choices that we make day by day. Today, you took a step. Uh, for those of you that are in this building, you took a step to come to church. 
And uh, here's the thing. People can come to church and they can still step away from their faith in God. Just by coming to church doesn't make you a better person. What's going on in your heart? You know, it's easier to take a step away from God. But just like Sophie and Hans, you overcome that negative inertia of this fallen world and you take a step forward. Can I tell you a secret here? Nobody in this room, nobody watching is going to stand still today. You're either moving towards God or you're moving away from him. Yo. Get it? Is that, is that easy to understand? We are either moving towards God or we're moving away from God. And God gives you the freedom to make that decision, which direction you're going. So, number one in your notes, an example of a mother's love. Look at verse 7 again. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you. Or, or Paul digs deeper than that. In fact, we were like a mother. <laughs> hey, do you remember growing up, man? <laughs> my mom would use a wooden spoon on me to get my attention on the backside. And there were a few times she broke that wooden spoon. It wasn't, it wasn't paralyzed wood. Petrified wood, that's what they call it. Petrified, it's petrified. And many times she'd say, wait for your father to come home. Talk about torture for the rest of the day. My dad did not use a wooden spoon. He used a leather belt. So if I had a vote... Who do you want to be disciplined by, my mother or my father? I would lean towards my mom, wouldn't you? Huh? Wouldn't you? Yeah, moms, go for the moms, right? Yeah, Paul is starting out his, his conversation, this letter to the church. He's saying, I am like a mother to you, man. You know, I, I'm tender, I'm gentle, uh, I'm, I'm like one of you. I remember where I came from. And the cool thing is that God is like, at our times, like he's a gentle mother to us. You know, we deserve worse, but he is gentle and full of grace. And um, we need to know as we grow in our faith with Christ that we remember where we came from as a new believer where it all started, and how people invested in us. Paul, Paul is saying that. He's saying, don't, you know, I remember where I started. And so I'm identifying with you. I'm coming to you like a mother. 1 Corinthians 9.22, he says, what, When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Man, that's good. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. What a, what a um, mission statement for followers of Jesus. I want to bring people to Jesus. I don't care what it costs me. That's my goal in life, to point people to Christ, because that's what really matters. When it's all said, when the sun sets at night, that's what is most important. And so there's always a next step for us. You know, I was... I had a conversation with, uh, with somebody last week, and I just said, you know, I have learned the secret to growing uh, in Christ, and that's living one day at a time with him. Because when you look at your life from start to finish, it can be a little intimidating, but by breaking it down, today I'm going to live for Jesus. Just like as husbands and wives, we have to choose every single day to be faithful to our spouse. Every day, we choose to do that. This relationship with Jesus is very similar to a marriage. Every day, I choose to be faithful and honor him. And so, there's always room for growth, right? When you stop feeling the hand of God on that clay, you become... You know, this is kind of boring. This is, you know, this really isn't that exciting. But when you 
And as you spend time with God over decades, and you still sense his hands forming and shaping you, because I'm not perfect. And so I'm a, when you allow God to keep working in your life, it keeps it exciting. But when you tell God, I've had enough, I'm good, you know, I'm good. God kind of pulls back, and then you kind of get into a rut. Don't let that happen. And Paul's talking about that right here. Number one, rights displaced, verse 7, apostles, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. And so these new followers of Christ, they did sense Paul's tender, loving care towards them as he was walking them through on how to develop their faith in Christ. Paul made sacrifices on himself. He said, certainly we had a right to make some demands on you. He's talking about, you know, we could have, you know, received offerings and that sort of thing. Uh, you, you, you could have paid our way. But he said, we didn't want to put that burden on you because this is a brand new church, man. This is, this is a beginning. And so Paul had an occupation that he had been trained in to be a tent maker. And so the cool thing what Paul was saying is I can, I can set up shop, you know. I got, a little, I got a little shop over here on the side. I got my, my sewing machine, you know. I'm good. And I can start making tents and, uh, and selling them. And so by having that business on the side, that kept Paul free from having, he's saying, to put this demand on this very young church. And so they were grateful for that. First uh, Corinthians nine fourteen, Paul says, in the same way, the Lord ordered those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. So that's the point he's making. You know, uh, as followers of Christ, there's an obligation to take care of those who teach God's word. And uh, and Paul's saying, I'm signing off on that because this is a new church. I'm passing that by. So. There were a lot of traveling pastors, uh, teachers that would come into towns, you know, and they were arrogant and they had this attitude that I'm more holy than you and they looked down on them, kind of like, you know, the religious Pharisees. Paul's saying, we're not like those guys. We're not like them. We're coming to you like a mother. We love you. We care about you. Number two, love displayed. Look at verse 8. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. When he's talking about our own lives, it literally means our own souls from the inside out. Paul was transparent. He talked about his weaknesses. He talked about his struggles. So, you, you know, you're being real. I talked to somebody last week too, man. I said, hey, if you have an accountability person, if, in order for that to work, you've got to be honest. There's too many accountability Programs out there where you can, you can fake it, you know? You can pretend. You can, you can deceive what's really going on in your life. That doesn't work. Paul is saying, I am coming to you. I'm transparent. I'm, I'm showing you the real Paul from the inside out. And that's love displayed. Um, how, how many of you know, man, for you to be transparent, uh, you hope those on the receiving end will still love you when they know the stuff on the inside, right? They're not going to kick you in the ribs and say, you better get out of here. Yeah, so, so that's it. Paul, Philippians 2.17, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. That's what he's talking about. I, I, would, I would die for you, this church in Thessalonica. I will die for you if I have to. That's how much he loved Number three, self-discarded, verse nine. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we could not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. And that's going back to he set up shop in the city, made tents and sold them so that he didn't have to rely on this new church um, today. We worked hard. We worked hard. And um, just like the, the title for today, the commitment, you know, it's not about you, it's about God in you. 
That's the way we should live our lives. It's not about us. It's about God living his life in and through us. Night and day we toiled. <laughs> That's a long time, isn't it? Huh? Night and day, man. Uh, when we turned the lights on, we were still. We were still teaching you and investing in you. Why? Because we cared about you. The Phillips translation puts it this way. Because we loved you, it was a joy to us to give you not only the gospel of God, but our very hearts. So dear did you become to us. Our struggles and hard work, my brothers, must still be fresh in your minds. Yes, sir. Paul was faithful in presenting the good news. Number two, someone's watching. Verse 10. Someone's watching. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God. That's a good reminder, isn't it? It's always good. You know, as a kid, we think, you know, I'm just going to go in this closet. There's no light in here. I'll close the door. Nobody's going to see me, not even God. How's that working out for you? <laughs> Listen, God doesn't need a light to see you, man. He sees everything, no matter where you are. You know, like those Chilean miners that were way down underground, trapped. God saw them under all that earth, man. He saw them stranded. And God did a cool work inside that trap zone with those Chilean miners. A great story to look into. God sees you. He's watching. Not because he wants to zap you. You know, he's got that little button. Boom! Waiting for you to mess. No, he doesn't. He's watching me because he loves you, man. He loves you. And Paul says, you, this young church, they were witnesses. You, you saw us, how we lived our lives. And notice he says, we were devout, honest, faultless towards all believers. All believers. So, Paul and Silas had conducted themselves in an honorable way. And Paul is using these three key words to describe their conduct and how they live their lives. So, just for fun, just for fun, say somebody rings your, your doorbell and says, hey, can I live with you for a week? Can I shadow you? I think you're cool, and I want to shadow you for a week. What would you say to them? Hmm? They find out what you laugh at, where you go, what you allow into your mind. They're, all, they're watching. What conclusions would they come up with about your God after shadowing you for a week? Hmm? Good question, huh? How would they picture God that we see in the Bible? Do, do, does your lifestyle, choices you make, match up with the picture of God in the Bible? Good question. Mm -hmm. Because character is all about being conformed into Christ's image, isn't it? Not conforming to ours. Going back to what do you want to be on the inside five or ten years from now? See, there's, there's work to be done on the inside. And if we claim to be God followers, man, and yet our lifestyle reflects values and standards different from, from God's, we need to stop and rethink what we're doing and how we're living our lives. And here's a good principle to live by. This is what Paul did. The more I love someone the less I am able to tolerate the things that hurt them. I'll read it again so you can get it down. The more I love someone, the less I am able to tolerate the things that hurt them. And I have to tell you, that's something that I had to learn even in my relationship with Christ. And now, now, it is foundational for me. I don't want to do anything. I have seen the pain that I have caused my wife. I can see the pain in her eyes when I hurt her. And I don't like doing that. I realize I don't like doing that. And I realize when I look into the eyes of God and how much he loves me, I don't want to do anything that makes him sad or grieve from my choices. And that should be our model. That was Paul's. 
The three words Paul uses when he's talking about somebody's watching, he says we were devout. In the Greek, it means to carefully fulfill the duties God gives to a person. We're acting responsibly before the Lord. God sees us, so let's live our lives as if he is watching us. For fun. Yeah. Second, he says, be honest. It refers to integrity, uprightness of character, behavior. Uh, in other words, we are upright in our dealings with people. We are, we are honest. We're not deceiving. We're not cheating them. Third, he says, be faultless. And he's talking, this is how we lived in front of you, and we are asking you as followers of Christ to do likewise. Faultless towards all of you believers. That means not able to find fault in. That's pretty cool, huh? You have people following you around for a week and they can't find a fault in you because you are living your life with the character of Christ as your model. Ooh, man, that's exciting. And so the question is, as Paul was living his life in front of the church, he wanted to please God. And I'm asking you this morning, are you seeking to please God with your lives? And the questions to ask is, am I grieved by the same things that grieve God? Simple question. Am I grieved by the same things that grieve God? Do I feel what God feels? It's another good question. Am I bothered by the things that bother God or not? Is my heart in sync with his heart? So, let's zero in, let's dial in. Every week through media, movies, TV, Christians entertain themselves with depictions of the very sins that Jesus died for. Yeah. In most cases, these Christians are not in the least bit grieved by this. Laughing, going along with the very things that Jesus died for. And for some reason, it doesn't strike us as sinful. You know why? Because as parents, we rationalize we are of age. And what's that about? Well, after all, the movie rating system, they tell us what's good and bad for us by the age rating, you know? So if they say we can handle it, I can handle it. So what's the problem? The scenes that would break the heart of God that elicit laughter from us, we don't even give it a second thought. How sad that is, isn't it? In the body of Christ. The reason it didn't bother you is because we're not sensitive to it. And that's a nature of a hard heart, a hardened heart. Hans and Sophie recognize that hardness as young people. When what grieves God no longer grieves you, your heart is hard. When what bothers God doesn't bother you anymore, your heart is hard. Our response to entertainment is just one way to find the status of our heart where we dial in. That's just the one way. Boom. There's many others. You can pick up your Bible and read it. <laughs> what grieves the heart of God? Find out what grieves the heart of God. Don't break his heart. So, character is the will to do what's right as defined by God regardless of the personal cost. And that's what Paul is echoing to the church here. Character matters. Modeling the heart of Christ, the character of Christ, is what matters. And number three, an example of Father's influence, verse 11 and 12, and you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. Man, you see what Paul's doing? He's a cheerleader, man. He's encouraging these young believers, man, to press on and grow and mature. For he called you to share in his kingdom and his glory. And so Paul had already, back in verse 7, he says, hey, I'm like a mom, describing how they brought the gospel to Thessalonica. Now he goes on, they saying, I'm like a father. And how many of you know, sometimes it takes a dad to get things rolling in a house? Yo? Yeah, man. 
Yeah. Dad's home. Woo! Things, the temperature, man, the atmosphere changes when dad's home. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's what Paul's saying. You know, as, as sometimes a dad, a spiritual father, needs to just push a little harder than a mom would to get you going spiritually again. If you're stuck in the mud, man, you need a dad to push you out of that mud, man, to get you rolling again. Just a side note, years ago, there were 12 rules for raising delinquent children put out by a police department. I'm not going to read all 12, but the first one was begin with infancy to give the child everything they want. In this way, they'll grow up to believe the world owes them a living. Sound familiar in our culture today? Number two, when he picks up bad words, laugh at him. That'll make him think he's cute. Three, never give him any spiritual training. Wait till he's 21 and let him decide for himself. Don't do that. Don't do that. Invest in your children. Teach them God's word. He is the supreme authority. Number four, avoid the use of wrong. It may develop a guilt complex. That's huge in our culture today, man. Don't make your kids feel bad. Don't do it. Listen, that's wrong. That's wrong. That philosophy is wrong. This will condition them to believe later when they're arrested for stealing a car that society is against them and they are being persecuted. Just a side note on parenting. As a father treats his own children, Paul is saying, woof, woof. First of all, the first word he says, pleaded. We pleaded with you. We pleaded with you. That's to summon, to address, to give instruction, to admonish. Come on, come on. You can do this. That's what he's saying. Two, encouraged. We encouraged you to speak, to come alongside, you know. I want to, come on, keep going, keep going. You can finish, man. You can do it. Walter Winchell said, in crises, enemies walk out and friends walk in. Man, do we need friends like that, right? We sure do. Friends that'll stick with you. Number three, urging. We urge you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy, for he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Urging can refer to strong discipline if necessary. Paul's not watering down the gospel, you know. He's challenging this young church. And Paul is saying, this is how I live my life. Follow my example. And he's urging them to keep pressing on. Urging them. And to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. On the screen, a couple uh, texts that for your reading. Man, if you need a little... Spiritual discipline, here it is, Galatians 5. And I'm not going to read all of it, but verse 16, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Great. If you want some challenge, come on, I want you to challenge me, man. I want to grow. I want to push. I want to push me, man. Push me. Ephesians 5, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. You know, imitate him. Don't imitate the world. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. Great example. Verse 8, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord. So live as people of light. Is that good to know? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. For this light within you produces only what's good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. That's what Sophie and Hans were doing in Germany in 1943, by the way. Verse 12b, for he called you. Called you. Men called. 
That literally means he's continually calling you. He doesn't call you once and hang up and says you're good to go. He's calling, 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 man. For he called you to share in his kingdom. God is always calling us to live a life of holiness and obedience to him. Number three, no, no, no. (laughs) It's a good thing we caught that. It's a good thing we got a tip from the beginning. It's number four. Everybody there? All right. Thankful for God's word, verse 13. Therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You know, that's another, another theory on the, no, no. You accepted, you believed what we said is the very word of God, which of course, it is. It is the word of God. And this word continues, oh, oh, continues to work in you who believe. That word accepted in the Greek, it's in the present tense, indicating continuing to change them since they continued to believe it. There is always, there should always be change going on the inside of us. Thank God for his word. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than in the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between the soul and spirit between Joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Aren't you glad for that? God is performing surgery when you read his word. Transforming us. It still transforms lives. Right now, we're going to take a look at a testimony from Alpha. Daryl Tunningly. He's got a really good English accent. Listen to his story. Not to sin. So I'm often asked, why did you get involved with crime? And I say it wasn't a conscious decision. I didn't see the careers lady at school and say, of course, you can do an armed robbery. It was just there. It was all around us. And it all started with weed and drinking, cannabis, the usual stuff. Um, we used to steal badges off expensive cars and swap them like trading cards. And it just progressed to the entire car. And I got involved with the people who were really pulling all the strings. So we went up to this guy's house who owed them a few hundred pounds. It was, it was nothing to them. But the problem was he'd been going around telling everybody that he wasn't going to pay it. So they had to set an example. So they got this guy, he was in his garden, his little lad was there. So he got out of the car, grabbed this bloke, put him in the car, sat between us, and he drove up to uh, what's called Niner's Quarry and uh, pulled a petrol strimmer out of the boot of the car, gave it to me and said, do his feet. So strimmed his feet, just lacerated his feet and this was my initiation so that just moved on and on and on cut a long story short Leeds Crown Court courtroom number three he handed me down seven and a half years and I just thought to myself that's it gloves are off if I'm going to be bad I'm going to be the best kind of bad I can possibly be because I got moved from prison to prison to prison and put on category A maximum security because of my behaviour and there's this lad coming round another inmate he comes up to me and he says uh, do you want to go on an alpha course I had no idea what he was talking about. I said, look, get out my face, sunshine, before I slap you. I thought no more of it. And next day, and this kid's coming around with this clipboard again. So I'm just waiting for this kid to get within slapping range. And he must have sensed something wasn't right because he blurted something out really quickly. He went, you get Wednesday afternoon at a bang up and you get free coffee and you get free biscuits. <gasps> All right, I'll see you on Wednesday. And we just started giving a hard time, a really hard time. The thing that stopped me, it wasn't what they said because I wasn't really listening but it was how they did it. They came back at me with love and compassion every single time. So I sat there on my bunk and I said the first real prayer I'd ever said in my life. I didn't know if I was doing it right or not, but the gist of it was, God, I need you to take away the anger, the violence, the hate. I need you to take away the addictions, which I've tried to fight and I just lose every time. And if you do that for me, I will live the rest of my life for you. But the next morning, I woke up, as I always had done. Rolled over to grab the smoke, as I always had done. But I couldn't touch it. Everything about it, the look, the thought, the smell, everything made me want to be sick. And I knew what I had to do, so I went and got my little stash and I put it straight out of the cell window. And as soon as they'd gone, I started to feel a bit better. I started to calm down a little bit. 
but I was still freaking out. So she just said to myself, Daryl, calm down, go get a wash, go get a shave. And as I started to get a wash, I looked in the mirror and just stopped dead. Because I didn't recognise my own reflection. I was like, that guy's smiling. Not just smiling, that guy's beaming. And I noticed I didn't just look different, I felt different. Everything had gone. It was as if someone had unscrewed the top of my head and just poured freezing cold water in and everything had been just washed out clean. So the chaplain comes onto the wing and I just told him absolutely everything. And he said, the man that went to bed last night is not the same man that's standing here this morning. You're a new creation. And that was it. I said, no more. No more fighting, no more drugs, no more nothing. If you owe me anything, forget it. If you're holding anything of mine, keep it. I don't want it, I'm done, I'm finished. Jesus has saved me. And then when it came time for my release, I knew I was gonna go into full-time ministry. Reverend Mark Finch, JP, a magistrate, and he said, would you consider coming to Runcorn near Liverpool? We've got a new church plant, we're just getting going. There's a big problem with young people and gangs and drugs, would you come? I knew it was the right place to go. So he picked me up from the gates on the morning of my release. He took me to his house, not a house, his home. And his eldest is his daughter, Rebecca, who is now my wife and the mother to my two amazing children, Benjamin and Lydia Grace. My life just couldn't look more different than what it is now. There you go. The Bible, the power of Christ, transforms, can change you from the inside out. This morning, maybe you want to put your faith in Christ for the first time and you say, Jesus, I know you died for my sins and I know you love me so much you want to have a personal relationship with me. And Lord, today I put all my trust in you. I believe you are who you said you are, the Savior of the world. Forgive me my sins. And I'm inviting you to become my Savior. And by the Holy Spirit, I endeavor to live for you the rest of my life. And thank you, Jesus, for saving me, transforming me. And Father, I thank you for your word today. And I thank you for the power of your word. We are thankful for God's word and how as we read it, it transforms us. We thank you, Lord, for your great love that you sent Jesus to pay for our sin debt, a debt we could never pay on our own so that we could be in a right relationship with you, God, a loving Heavenly Father. We trust you this morning with our lives, with our future. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.